Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled Retina Clinic Current Treatment Options in Neurovascular AMD is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. New, more durable treatments are available for patients with diabetic macular edema. In the past, we've had an armamentarium of treatments with similar durability. Now we have more choices and we can decide what's best for each patient in clinic. This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. David Eichenbaum. And I'm Dr. Mark Barakat. It's an exciting time for retina because our choices are increasing. Our armamentarium is improving, and we have more commercially available options now with biologics than we ever have had before in our space. There are even more treatment modalities on the horizon. The pipeline is rich. It is broad. The scope of it is immense. As we get started, Mark, can you please tell us how you're using the new commercially available modalities to help your patients with diabetic macular edema? That's a great question. Well, you know, when we talk about the new modalities, first we have to look back at the older modalities. They work great. Don't get me wrong. The question is, what are what are the burdens? What are the hurdles with the with the old modalities? And those are basically treatment frequency. There is an issue in terms of the patients coming in, socioeconomic or otherwise, well established, certainly in a diabetic population more so than anything else. And the question is, are we treating these patients sufficiently? to get the optimal results that we know we can achieve with these treatments. And so really, it boils down to, can we lengthen the interval without losing the efficacy in terms of drying power or in terms of visual acuity? So it's really exciting to have some of these newer options available that promise to do just that. And the real question then becomes, how do you select certain patients? And when do you make that switch? And that is certainly something that I look forward to discussing with you today. I agree, Mark. Our patients need more durable treatment options. Our patients need more access. Our patients need more choice with drug. Our patients need to be able to maintain the results that we see in our randomized controlled trials without succumbing to treatment burden, which results in real-world outcomes that just don't match what we have in randomized clinical trials. We're hopeful that new agents will allow that to become a reality. If we look at Yosemite and Rhine two-year data, We're encouraged. This is the first data set ever to look at either treatment-naive or well-washed-out diabetics and treat them with a biologic in a fashion that allows in the personalized treatment interval arm or what we call the variable treatment arm and the FDA-approved label to flex and extend over time, starting right after loading with four injections in the very first year. If we look at that data through two years, almost two-thirds of the patients achieve dosing every 16 weeks, and their visual outcomes match that of patients treated with either furosemab every eight weeks or flibercept every eight weeks. That's dramatic. That's a halving of the treatment burden. And about 80% of the patients achieve parity to the Q8-week fixed interval dosing with Q12-week or longer dosing. That's the first time we have seen that. What's especially important in the randomized controlled data, as well as in the real world, over 100,000 commercial furosemab doses given as of today, we have not seen cases of retinal vasculitis or occlusive retinitis related to the use of this drug. That's remarkable. However, it's not the only 
durable agent that we now have available for diabetic eye disease. We also have brolicizumab, which was just approved for the treatment of diabetic macular edema. Mark, you have experience with this data. What can you tell us about the chitin kestrel data set? Great point. So brolicizumab is yet another option in terms of lengthening the treatment interval for diabetic macular edema patients. From the chitin kestrel trials, two phase three trials with a loading phase, and then ended up extending the interval for patients to eight and 12 weeks. And in year two within kite, actually extended it to 16 weeks. And it showed us at the year two results that somewhere between 33 to 48% of these patients actually went longer. And with without losing anything in terms of visual acuity compared to the aflibercept control arm or anatomic results, which are both robust and sustained throughout. So that's very encouraging. And I know we're not talking about Kingfisher here per se, but that's also an interesting trial because that was monthly brolicizumab versus monthly aflibercept and actually showed anatomic uh, superior gains in the uh, brolicizumab arm compared to aflibercept arm. So there's even that possibility that perhaps we're getting a little bit more bang for a buck with brolicizumab. Now, however, any conversation that includes brolicizumab must also deal with intraocular inflammation and vasculitis. And those rates were, of course, also seen within this data set. Now, somewhat encouraging was lower rates than seen in the AMD population. We're not quite sure why that is, but it still was there somewhere between 2 and 4% in terms of inflammation, approaching 1% in terms of vasculitis, and some in the range between 0.5 and 1.6 or something percent in terms of occlusive issues. So that is a real world concern, which of course may limit the applicability rather of rolicizumab in, in, in the real world. For those just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Mark Barakat, and here with me today is Dr. David Eichenbaugh. Together we're discussing new treatment options for diabetic macular edema and how to best transition them into your clinic. Now, the question really becomes, David, as you have these options available, how do you apply this and how do you choose the patient in which to make this transition? Well, Mark, you and I are probably earlier adopters of new agents. That's for a variety of reasons, one of which is that we're involved in the clinical trials and we've seen patients go through treatment with these agents pre-commercially, even though we don't know what their treatment assignment is versus active control with standard of care agents. We know patients are getting these agents and we know patients do well in the trials. So we're likely to reach for them when they become available in our commercial population as well. Like a lot of docs who do decide to use agents, I do think that you and I probably use new agents and treatment experience patients the most, patients who would never be in the clinical trials. Clinical trials are treatment-naive or well-washed-out patients for diabetes. But in my practice, I think 85 or 90% of my furosemab use is in patients who are midstream in their treatment, who've been receiving other treatments. I have a case that demonstrates this. One of my very first furosemab patients was a fellow who's a bilaterally treated patient. He's received over 50 aflibercept injections in both eyes. Prior to that, he received bevacizumab injections. He didn't do well with corticosteroids. He developed an intraocular pressure into the mid to high 30s with the intravitreal dexamethasone implant. And he received a flibercept almost monthly for over 50 doses and never really dried out and was never happy with his vision. I switched him to furosemab midstream. And you'll see after the first injection, he had a subjective and objective improvement. 
And I attribute that to the second mechanism of action of furosemab because aflibercept, as we know, is a reliable, potent, high-affinity anti-VEGF monotherapy. And furosemab, of course, is a bispecific therapy. And the first thing that I thought of when I saw this patient get better is how blocking the second pathway, the angiopoietin pathway, with the blockade of ANG2 may have made this anatomical and functional difference. How about you? How are you using these agents? No, you, you made a really interesting point. It's I've never quite thought of the fact that we put, you know, naive patients in these clinical trials all the time. You and I, and, and many others, and and but yet when we make that transition, I, I much like you, I, I like to transition the previously treated patients first, mainly for for a variety of reasons. But one of them, more recently, if I'm going to be frank, is. I've had a little bit of experience with brolicizumab, and uh, you don't really know what the real world will show you until till six months, perhaps a year have gone by. And so, you know, I'm a little bit cautious in testing the water because, to your point, these some of these patients were just not in the trial, and we don't quite know how things might interact, which is why that I'm actually quite pleased that so far with furosemab, the data has been very clean in terms of safety, not just in the trials, but also outside of the trials in a clinical setting. So my patient that I have here is someone that perhaps didn't get as many aflibercept treatments. He came to me already previously treated, not the greatest historian, but must have had multiple injections according to him. We started him on um, bevacizumab for a variety of reasons, not least of which was access, frankly. And then later on, transition into aflibercept, because I also agree with you, aflibercept is a great agent. It does a great job of drying, and it did a great job in drying this eye. At about a four or five or six-week interval, as you can see, they're transitioning here. And when I tried to flirt with extending him or, or weaning or, him off or backing off a little bit and going to 10 weeks, suddenly it starts flaring up again. And I don't know about you, David, but sooner or later, I just get sick and, and tired of injecting these eyes over and over and over and keep pounding away with the same thing. Although, frankly, I, I know the data says that we have to. So finally, when he comes in and at 11 weeks after Flibercept, which is frankly not as far as I wanted to go, but what he wanted to do, remember these patients, they don't have the ability to come in as often as we'd like them to. There was a lot of edema present. I made the switch to furosemab, kept the interval the same a same 11-week interval and had a drastically improved result in terms of anatomy. Now, frankly, this is an early result for me in this patient, but it's one of those results that you remember because, again, I'm a huge fan of aflibercept. It works great. And the fact of the matter is I came in here with this new agent, furosemab, and at least in this one instant, it actually gave me that wow effect that I was hoping for, but I wasn't quite sure I would see. So this is actually quite you know, satisfying outcome for me and certainly for the patient. So the real question is there's other treatment modalities as well that really haven't talked about. And one of them is the the port delivery system. And so I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about this, uh, David. It's approved for the treatment of of neovascular age-related macular um, degeneration. And it's also currently being studied in patients with diabetic macroedema as well as diabetic retinopathy. And so you know, I'm not asking you to predict the future, but I guess I am. What What do you think we might expect from the port delivery system for the treatment of patients with DME? I have a lot of experience with the port delivery system, with PDS. Our site between me and the other operating surgeon put in about two dozen of them in the um, phase two and phase three trials. And we have a third surgeon now who's putting them in the phase four trial. And we're using them commercially as well, at least 
two of the folks in our group have used them commercially, and I'm actually implanting my first second eye PDS uh, tomorrow. So I have a lot of faith in the platform from our experience. Diabetic data, of course, is not yet published. I wouldn't be surprised if PDS is effective in diabetic macular edema as it's extraordinarily effective in neovascular macular degeneration. The thing we have to kind of grok or uh, get our heads around is the risk of endophthalmitis related to implant exposure. Like any other device, we're going to have to figure out how to be better surgeons, do the procedure more safely and preserving the efficacy in the patients who've done well and learn how to monitor these patients and take care of the surgical complications, specifically the risk of infection related to an indwelling device inside an eye. You know, I completely agree with you. That is one of my hesitations. There's a great platform. It's shown to be very effective in, in, in AMD. And I suspect it will be equally so in, in DME. Uh, however, with the in, infection rates, you know, it, it's very similar to what we've learned from, from our um, colleagues in, in glaucoma. It's, you know, having a tube shunt in the eye does impart some degree of risk of infection down the line. That doesn't mean we stop doing tube shunts. We just learn how to minimize that with good surgical practices and how to monitor this. And I suspect this will be the way that PDS will be treated going forward as well. This has been a great discussion. As we wrap up here, Mark, what's your one key takeaway for our audience today? You know, I think the key message is that diabetic macroedema has a high treatment burden. And that's a burden that some of us, no matter how hard we try, have a hard time meeting with the current um, available treatment options. The new ones coming out, the new ones available here today actually offer us the ability to maintain vision, maintain OCT dryness, and uh, stretch, stretch of the interval, which is, uh, you know, a boon to our audience. It's really exciting, and I look forward to uh, PDS data as well. And I'll add that it's all about the patients. We're all about equity. We're all about access. We're all about retina care for everybody. And the new agents, as well as new delivery systems within the community, can partner to make this dream a reality. That's all the time that we have today. Thank you, Mark, for joining me. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Absolutely a pleasure discussing this with you anytime. Happy to do it, my friend. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Prova. Thank you for listening.